as Monica said, we're continuing on in our series in First John, and we're actually back on the topic of love. So if you've been following along with us, you'll know that a couple of weeks ago, Monica spoke on this topic. So we're not going completely nuts. Um, John, John's letter isn't really, um, it's not an essay, okay? So it's conversation. So we're sort of like, we've, done a, we've talked about love, we've kind of turned around and we're, and we're back here again, okay? So we're going to go straight into this, reading this passage of scripture. It's a good chunk of scripture. It's a beautiful passage. It's a little bit messy, so bear with me. All right. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves, who has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Getting the picture? It's about love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved, thank you, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We're halfway there. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Anyone count how many loves there were in that passage? I haven't actually. All right, guys. Let's <laughs> Just fun facts of nothing. All right, let's pray. <laughs> going to be a long night. Father God, we just thank you that we can come and um, spend this time together with you and, and learning about love. And um, yeah, I just pray that you just be with us all, be everyone, with everyone here as um, I hopefully communicate what is on your heart tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've had a lot of conversations about what love is um, and, and how our English language really doesn't do it any justice. Um, Monica, in her talk, she said she loves sushi and her husband. We just hope not equally. But I tell you what isn't a loving place is the suburbs. Who lives in, like, suburbia in here? Yeah, okay, so I've just recently moved from sort of more rural area into suburbia. There is a whole different set of rules. And uh, some of it's parking rules, but the one that I find the most entertaining is the lawn mowing. Okay, so I didn't know this, but there are rules, and I, I discovered it when I uh, was looking along our front verge, and um, our, our lovely neighbour is very meticulous about his garden, but you move, basically head mowed his lawn, and then his property ends, and there's about 30 centimetres of the lawn that comes into our property, it doesn't get mowed. 
Has anyone ever discovered this? Fine, 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 fine. No, not my property. Has anyone, is this, this is like a common suburban thing. And so when I came to mowing my lawns, I got to my neighbor's side and I didn't actually know what to do, so I just mowed it. But then I just, honestly, I just, it's a whole nother rules, set of rules, but I can't quite work it out. It doesn't actually feel neighborly at all. Anyway, that's my rant over for the night, but does anyone else actually find that? Yeah? There is. Okay, so I'm not alone. All right. Who enjoys this time of year? Christmas. Cool. There's a few of you. It's more exciting than our second service. I don't think there was anyone who likes Christmas in our second service. Um, I love this time of year. I love, I enjoy the festivities. I enjoy the joy, the elements of a little bit of chaos. I enjoy the food. Probably not the extra kilos, but I just, it's a good time. I love it. I get really excited. The other thing that I really um, enjoy at this time of year is the Hallmark Christmas movies. I know Monica loves it. There is, they come out in force, man, and it is such a good time, and I know it's terrible and it's tragic, um, because, but I just love that they are predictable plot lines, there's um, festivities, there's love stories, the guy always gets the girl and it's always happily ever after. It's just so simple. It's a beautiful, simple love story. And what we're encountering tonight is a love story. It's a love story that um, totally transformed John. It totally turned his world upside down. And see, John had understood this time um, and life before Jesus, where they lived under what was called the Old Covenant, where they needed to prove their loyalty and love towards God by abiding in the law. But now they've had this revelation of God's love through Jesus. And love is the essence of God's being, but not all and love and affection qualifies as divine. And it's a trap, I think, in our society today that love isn't actually the deity that we worship. Love isn't what we worship, but our God is love. So as Craig mentioned at the beginning of the year, that God is the wheelhouse, but love is just what keeps the cogs turning. But this love, this love, this great love that God has for his people and for us is because he so loved the world. And if you were here this morning, you would have heard Andrew talk about that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He so loves us. He is so obsessed with us. We are the object of God's obsession and love. And sometimes I think it's just really hard to wrap your head around it. And so we're going to dig into that a little bit more. But first of all, I just want to tell you about a quote. I was reading a book um, a few years ago. Some of you may have seen it come up. And it's a book by Judith Smith. And it's called uh, Life Is... And he talks a lot about love and God's love through the book. And one of the quotes that I remember standing out to me was this one. The opposite of love isn't hate, but selfishness. It's a powerful quote because I I think we often associate, we don't often hate people, but we definitely do wrestle with this level of selfishness in our lives. So I want to take you through a couple of stories that show you how this love, this unselfish love works and what it looks like. I want to take you back um, into the Old Testament, to the book of Hosea. And um, this, this time in the story was about 750 years before uh, Jesus, Jesus had come, but God was still so obsessed with his people and loved them so much that he was trying to tell his people that he loved them through prophets, through people who would communicate the truth of God and how much he loved them. 
And Hosea was one of these prophets in northern Israel. And uh, in Israel at the time, um, they were experiencing unprecedented wealth, yet at the same time, a spiritual decline. As a nation, they'd walked away from God, they'd been worshipping idols, living immorally and impurely. And so Hosea was living and preaching among a nation who had lost its heart for God. The story of Hosea is unique in that, unlike some of the other prophets, Hosea was called to prophesy in both his words and his actions with his life. Other prophets, I would say, got it easier. Isaiah, he got to see the throne room of God. Ezekiel got to see um, dry bones come to life. Daniel, he could interpret dreams. Jonah saw thousands give their lives to God. Hosea, God said, your bachelor days are over and I want you to marry a prostitute. Marry a prostitute. I have no doubt that Hosea went back to God a few times over that one. Are you really sure, God? Is that really what you want? The scripture doesn't give much indication at the time as to why God wanted Hosea to marry a prostitute. He just says, do it. It was an unlikely marriage, an unlikely union. And so Hosea marries this prostitute who was most likely a temple prostitute and um, her name was Goma. Think what you like of her name. So Goma and Hosea, they, um, they got married and things started, seemed to be going all right. Um, to begin with. They had a son, which undoubtedly would have made Hosea, I don't know, overjoyed. It would have been, um, it would have met many of his dreams and desires of what a family life would have looked like. However, after the birth of her son, Goma began to disappear from home, leaving Hosea for other men. You can imagine Hosea waking up and finding his wife and looking for her. Goma. Goma, where are you? Not understanding where she'd gone and then to find out that she'd given herself away again as a prostitute. The feelings he would have felt, the the town rumours that would have been. Goma was out so frequently that Hosea wasn't even sure if her second and third children were even his. And so Hosea attempts to woo her back. He gives her gifts of wool and linen and then more gifts of olive oil and wine. But she thinks that these gifts are from her lovers. So Hosea tries an outrageous tactic and and, um, tries to block her path with thorn bushes. So she can't find her way and won't be able to find her lovers. And in the hope that she realizes that she is better off with Hosea and his love. Except it didn't work. So he lavishes her with silver and gold, and yet she still believes that these gifts are from her lovers and even offers them as a sacrifice to Baal, who was um, an idol that they worshipped at the time. So essentially an enemy of God. After Goma's continued unfaithfulness and she'd weaned her third child, she stopped coming home altogether. She left the love of Hosea and her family and went back completely to her life of prostitution. The embarrassment would have been immense. Hosea, who was called by God to be a beacon of hope for Israel and provide messages to God's people, can't even keep his family together or his wife from committing adultery. I can only imagine the betrayal and the sadness that Hosea would have felt. 
And so we read in chapter 3 that God says to Hosea, Go and show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is adulterous, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. In other words, they love, they care more for the things of the world instead of God. The Israelites believed that love could be found in the pursuit of self-gratification and that love could be found in things as they experienced this new wealth as a nation. But God is saying, do this, Hosea, just as I love the Israelites. The Israelites who, in their pursuit of self-gratification and idolatry, were committing idolatry against God. They were cheating on God. God is saying, I am pursuing them. I know what they have done and I know what they are doing, but I love them so much. I want them. They are my people. They belong to me. I want their hearts again. And so Hosea's search begins. And Hosea, who was a famous figure at this point in time, he was a holy man of God, was asked to go into places that honestly no holy man would have normally ever ventured. And I don't know what you picture when you think of Hosea trying to find his wife, but I can only imagine this man walking these dirty streets heading into what would have been the red light district where they're confronted when he was confronted with sin on every corner, knowing that your wife was there somewhere. Asking desperately, have you seen Goma? Have you seen my wife? Have you seen Goma? Eventually, he, um, he comes to find her, and she's now become a slave. Ragged, dirty, destitute, broken woman. And Goma, who would have most likely been chained to an auction block, would have seen Hosea coming. And I think there are two ways in which she would have responded. There's one of either pride and hate towards Hosea, just totally pushing him away or the more likely one of shame and embarrassment, probably unable to look her husband in the eye because of the state she was in and where she had gotten herself. And Hosea sees his wife, and despite everything, despite her, her adultery and her shame that she has brought upon both them and her family, Hosea buys her back. He literally had to buy her back. She was already his. But Hosea buys her back for 15 shekels of silver and some barley. And so Hosea pays for Goma and makes a vow to her, makes a promise to her and says, you were to live with me many days and you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same way towards you. He makes his vows to her again. And in that moment, God speaks to Hosea and Hosea prophesies of a coming king, a king that they don't yet know the name of, but he is speaking of a new way of living, a new covenant. He's speaking of Jesus. And we live under that new covenant today. We've had a revelation of God's love through his son, Jesus. The story of Hosea and Goma is a story that conveys many things. It firstly conveys the love that God has towards Israel and how much he still wanted to pursue them. But it says so much more about us and our relationship with God. The person of Goma is all too familiar. We are Gomas. 
We have been given love and so many gifts and care and purpose in God. Yet we walk away. We cheat on God, not realizing that the greatest gifts that we have been given are actually from God. We believe that we can purchase love and pleasure. We consume, we work for our own self-gratification. Our love is for our own satisfaction. Even in relationships, it's more often not to serve one another. We see it as love is met with apathy, as our love lacks real interest in one another, lacks enthusiasm or real concern for someone else. It's self-seeking. And in our self-seeking, we find ourselves chained up, slaves, dirty, and honestly, just not that desirable. But we find a God, we find a God who sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for our sins, to pay for what, in fact, was already his. He paid a price for us. Did you know that we were already his? We were already his. We are Goma, but, we, but Jesus shows us God's undenying, pursuing, all-consuming, obsessive love for us. He knows what we've done. He just wants us back. He's saying, please, just please remain with me. Before Jesus' death on a cross, he continued to speak um, of God's love by telling us stories of how he pursued us. And one of the ones he says is that if he had 100 sheep and one went missing, that he would leave the 99 to go and find the one and how much he would rejoice when he found that one. And the logical part of my brain just goes, why? Why would you do that? Why would you bother? Why would you risk that? The stupid sheep went wandering off by itself. It deserves every bit it gets. But God's love is illogical. He honestly loves us that much. And there are countless stories that Jesus told that depict how much God loves us. And we need to capture this in our hearts. We need to hear it. I know it doesn't make sense that despite so many of our shortcomings, but hear me, he does. Remember our quote, the opposite of love isn't hate, but selfishness. God wasn't selfish when he sent Jesus to us. Jesus Christ is the unveiling of God's heart. Jesus is God displayed vulnerably before the world. God's love initiated this. God's love is one that is so great that it should change us. And when we understand the depth of God's love, it should inspire our sacrifices for one another. In 1 John 4, in the passage that we're looking at, in verses 15 to 17, it says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how much, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. God's love is perfected among us. It isn't perfected through our perception of it or even our experience of it. It is perfected through our expression of it how it is shared among us. 
And John continues to share this idea in verses 20 to 21. He says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother, hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Or a common favorite of ours in Luke 10, 27, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. See, our view of the world was like this. Well, simple, right? We had our family, our friends and our neighbors. And then as people began to trade and travel, we became aware of our cities our world expanded just that little bit more. And then as um, newspapers came out, we understood what was going on in our nations. Our world expanded again. And then, I guess, because of social media, world news and things like that, we have an even bigger perspective. We understand, for the most part, what's going on around the world. And it's, and it's good. There's, there's wonderful things about that, and it's certainly helpful, it's certainly insightful, but it's overwhelming. And I think the worst thing about this overwhelming feeling is that it's actually paralyzing. The needs are massive, and the world needs so much of our love, but when Jesus was talking about this, he was literally talking about your neighbor, that first one. He was talking about loving those around you in your immediate vicinity, your family, your friends, your neighbours. And I was thinking about this um, particular scripture the other day and thinking that there's a lot of self-love going on. It's almost a Western motto. Self-love, self-care, self-care days, and prioritising yourself. And don't get me wrong, like I, I, I do understand that there is a need for this, for self-care. The scripture isn't saying loving yourself is bad. It's saying loving, love yourself as your neighbor. So to what extent does our self-care become selfishness? There's a difference between having boundaries and having walls, and at what point is it just selfishness? See, love doesn't always go to plan or follow a plan. It interrupts. It's uncomfortable. Certainly was for Hosea. And there are risks to this generous love, sometimes inconvenience and embarrassment. Generous love requires commitment. And so what does this, this love look like shared amongst us? It's really simple. It looks like having a conversation with someone that you might not want to, looking around and inviting someone new into your conversation, asking someone else how they're doing, even if you're having a bad day. It requires reconciliation to God and to others, so we need repentance and forgiveness to be able to walk alongside each other. It might require cooking a meal for someone. It might require extending friendship to someone who is alone or giving a ride to someone who can't drive. Opening up your life groups to others. It's active love. It's serving one another. It's taking personal responsibility for those around us. 
And we're well set up in our country. You know, we have a government that will, to varying degrees, look after those with financial needs or food needs. We have counselling centres that care for emotional needs. We have churches that care for spiritual needs. And wonderful teams and um, our churches, like alongside us, that walk with others. But because there are these things available, it actually doesn't negate our own personal responsibility or the call that God has for us to actively express his love. What a beautiful picture it would be to just, for us to all love our neighbours. The stories of Hosea and Goma and the shepherd with the lost sheep are powerful images of a God who loves us. Loves us so much that it doesn't make logical sense and The story of um, Goma and Hosea just reveals how scandalous God's perfect love is for us. The stories tell us that even if you are faithless, God will remain faithful. That if you are enslaved, God will buy you back. That if you are lost, God will find you. If you are ashamed, God will cover you. If you wander off, God wants to bring you home. If you give up on him, God will not give up on you. No matter where you are, God sees you and he loves you. God loves you. He wants a faithful relationship with you. We are all gomers and lost sheep but we have that opportunity to express that love given to us, to other gomers and lost sheep, to our neighbours. The band is going to come up shortly and, um, and, and play our final song, but as they come up, I, I just want you to take this 30 seconds of just um, personal reflection time. It's not long. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. Am I a good friend and family member? Am I a good neighbour? Am I loving? Or am I selfish? And do I care more for myself than others than I am unwilling to even allow God to interrupt? As I said, the story of Hosea and Gomer is a powerful one and depicts a bigger picture, a bigger story of how much God loves us and how he pursues us. And if you don't have that picture of that God and you want to know more, then I encourage you to chat to your neighbour. Chat to the person next to you. Or come and chat to one of the people down the front here, the staff here. They will happily talk and pray with you because they know the love that God has for them. Let's just pray together, hey? God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus to die on the cross and take on our sin and take that separation that we would have from you. God, I ask and pray for myself and everyone here that we will have a fresh revelation of your love and the depth of it. God, let it overwhelm us. 
God, my prayer is that in that love and in that realization of knowing how loved we are and knowing how much you have done that in your pursuit of us, our God, I pray that you will help us to be good neighbors. Convict us, prompt us to express that love, to love those around us. God, we thank you. We thank you, thank you for your grace and love tonight. Amen.